Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's a special episode of The Monday Show on a Thursday with me, Andrew Musgrove, and Anya Castle, United editor Aaron Stokes. It is the morning after Newcastle United exited the Champions League and saw their European adventure come to an end all together after a defeat to AC Milan at St James's Park. With 30 minutes to go, Newcastle were on the road to the knockout stages of the Champions League, but AC Milan scored at the death to win the game. And while it wasn't enough to send them through to the last 16, it did mean they leapfrogged United and took that Europa League position. So just what went wrong for Newcastle United from a position, some would say, of control to one of heartache and probably frustration. Let's look at just how United fell out of Europe. Aaron, not the show we wanted to be doing today with half an hour ago, as I said there. Not the show that we felt we would be doing this morning. You were frustrated last night at how things panned out. A few hours on from the full-time whistle, how are you feeling? Um, maybe not as frustrated as I was last night. I think it's now gone from, from anger to disappointment. Um, I think, you know, I pulled... Um, I was on the Facebook Live last night and I was, you know, doing a bit of you. You always like to say refreshing. And I think I used the word deflated about seven times in a seven-minute video um, because it was just the overriding emotion last night. And I think the reason that it was so deflated was because of how good it was going for so long. Newcastle United were on top of that game for 59 minutes. Dortmund were holding up their end of the bargain over in Germany. Um, and it seemed like within, you know, five, ten minutes, both games had flipped on their head. Um, and Newcastle really, you know, threw that away, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, really, really deflated. And, and as you say, not the show we wanted to be doing this morning. Yeah, there's a definitely a sense of, of deflation, frustration. It feels like... The, the morning after the cup final last February against Manchester United, Carabao Cup. Um, I think firstly what we have to do is we have to praise the efforts of the lads. You know they've gone up against three of Europe's top sides and not looked out of place. They've beaten one of them. They've been robbed of another victory. Then in games uh, where they have been beaten, they've not been embarrassed and probably came away from those games thinking, "Oh, we were we were so close." You know, frustrated with themselves that they didn't reach the levels we know they can do and then you have the injuries and obviously last night's game comes in a week which <laughs> isn't finished yet of um, two horrible defeats 
fatigue is an element. So I think with all that in mind now, when you can say the team have done the club proud, and of course, uh, you know, we're well ahead of schedule in terms of actually being in the Champions League. But that being said, I think you have to be critical of the way they saw last night out. You know, the context to the game and the wider picture, all valid points, but last night's ending was down to the players and their lack of game management. And Eddie Howe as well, there was a naivety. Um, and I, I just thought, they th- you know, they, they only have themselves to blame it in, in, in many ways. I think naivety is the perfect word. And I think, you know, we're probably going to be aligned on our views about the game last night. And I think there'll be a lot of people also in the comments. I've just been talking literally five minutes ago off air with a colleague about how there's a 50-50 split down the middle of the fans between saying it was either Champions League or bust or they should have at least shored up the Europa League. Now, I think we're both in the latter camp. You know, when all you needed to do last night was avoid defeat against Milan and you're in Europe, I think it was criminal not to see out a game that they dominated for so long. Um, I will say, just as a caveat, I think events in Germany made it difficult because, you know, yes, PSG took the lead, but as soon as that goal was disallowed again, it was still all to play for. So I understand why Newcastle went for it, why they, you know, had to try and get the winner. But I think in trying to get the winner, they left themselves so exposed, far more exposed than they needed to. Um, And I think after that first Milan goal, we saw the tiredness creep in again. It was back to the type of running performances we saw against Spurs. Whereas actually for the first 60 minutes, and I tweeted this during the game, they looked really, really they're full of energy. Milan looked leggy. They couldn't string a pass together. Milan. Um, so, yeah, I think I think to not see out that game and, and at least, you know, I think to throw it away like that and let Milan back in was, was really criminal. Mm. I think you always felt the way they performed in the first half that they needed more than one goal. You wanted to see them go into the half-time interval, uh, two goals to the good. It, it, it wasn't to be. We've got uh, people watching live on YouTube. Please give the video a thumbs up and hit subscribe to the channel as well. Peter says, in a way, I'm good, but at the same time, I think it will help us in the long run. Sam says, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. Uh, and uh, Andy says, why didn't McGee use his right foot for that massive chance? Yeah, we will get onto that in a moment. Keep your comments uh, coming in. Now, you, you mentioned there protecting the Europa League position or going for the Champions League spot that was still very much uh, available. And anyhow, was asked about this in his press conference. So let's hear what he had to say first off, and then we'll go in and analyse um, his response to that question. Was there was there any point of view in the last sort of 10 minutes or so when the game became like that, that you thought maybe we try and manage the game and take the Europa League, or was it all guns blazing, wanted to qualify for the Champions League? And we wanted to qualify for the Champions League, yeah, for sure. I think that was very much our intention before the game and, and in-game. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure in that moment you can take that will away from the players. And if you look at the goals, we consider they've come from um, mistakes that um, can happen in any moment, whether you're being proactive or reactive. Um, so, I, yeah, of course, I take ownership of that, but I'd much rather have the intention to go and attack and to try and win rather than the other way around. First thing to see is after years of managers who would sit back and try to defend for 20 minutes, you know, having a manager who says he wanted to win the game, that is, as I would say, very refreshing indeed. Um, so we can't really slate him for that in, in one way. And I can't sit here, Aaron, and say to you or our listeners that with 20 minutes to go, I was urging the team to sit back and park the bus yeah. because 
I wasn't. I was on my feet. I was cheering them. I was urging them to go and get a second goal. But I do think as a fan, that's your luxury, isn't it? As a team and a manager, it's not. You set out to get the best result possible in that moment. And and I think there is an argument to say with 20 minutes to go, really, should Newcastle have not have sat back and said to Milan, right, if you want Europa League football, mm. you come on to us, you try and win the game. And if, if Newcastle could have just absorbed the pressure in those final moments instead of going through it, they would be sitting here and uh, they would be playing Europa League football in February. No, as, as I say, I think I think if events in Germany had been different, and let's say, for example, we were going in the last 20 minutes at St James's Park and PSG were 3-0 up and Newcastle knew that you know it was all but over and they were not going to get Champions League, whatever happened at St James's Park, I think we would have seen a, a massively different uh, performance from Newcastle in the final stages. Now, I'm with you. I'm not saying for a second that at 1-1, with the game 1-1 in Germany, Newcastle should have sat back and parked the bus and uh, allowed Milan to come on them. I was happy that they were going for the winner, as they should have. But by doing that, they left themselves so exposed at the back, and I think there should have just been a little bit more, um, whether it was how, whether it was someone on the pitch, someone just saying, lads, we're throwing nine players you know, in front of the ball here, Fabian shares in his own box trying to score, um, and we're leaving their exposed. And I think a, a big thing of that was Kieran Trippier coming off because him coming off, and it's no slight on Dan Byrne, but I think Trippier would have probably been the man to say, lads, look, okay, yes, it's one-one, but if we concede here, we're out, and it, and it ended up happening. And I think, I just think they could have gone for the for the winner in a better way. Mm. I think that, that could have been to sit off and then and then try and hit EC Milan on the counter. Because I just think by going gun-ho, which is essentially what they did, it's one thing to do that when you've made changes and you've got the squad rotation, but it's another thing to do it when you're playing the same team, you know, four out of the five last games, whatever. The, you know, the players are fatigued, they're tired. You haven't got the legs to, to push up and then get back. And I think that probably was a bit of naivety on, on Newcastle United's part. We've got Sam saying... Um, Hindsight is a wonderful thing. And yeah, look, all these comments are coming you know, with the benefit of hindsight. Uh, he says, why not go for the win against a side you've dominated all night? Marks is devastated. We were quality every game and left nothing out there. We had to go for the three points and naturally got caught. Great save uh, from the Bruno effort. And we'll talk about that as well uh, in a moment. But yeah, I mean, look, how he's going to stick to his principles. As we say, we've had years of managers literally parting the bus all game and, and, and you know, not really having that desire to go forward and attack the opposition. So you, you can't criticise how, on one hand, for wanting to win the game. No, you can't. And I think um, to get all emotional and teary-eyed, you only have to look at the start of the game and that war flags banner. You know, It was a very wild dream from Eddie Howe and it was all or nothing. And he came out at the end and he said that and he said to us, you know, as we've just played... Yeah, in, in a later question, I think it was Lee Ryder's question, he said, um, I've always tried to be proactive with this team rather than reactive. Um, I like to think that's the Newcastle way. And that's all very good and, you know, honest and fair play, but also and I don't wanna and I don't wanna make like a lazy stereotype about Eddie Howe because he's a fantastic manager and I love him and I don't wanna get him down. But would another manager with a little bit more European pedigree and experience, and dare I say it, somebody like Unai Emery lost that game. I don't know. I think it smacks of me of the Liverpool game at home earlier this season when Newcastle United dominated the lion's share of the game and somehow threw it away. I mean, Milan last night had, I know the chances were coming thick and fast at the end, but really they had um, Pulisic's goal, Liao off the post, and, and Chukwueze's goal before it was 2-1. 
Um, there wasn't really any other chances for them. And I just think on another night with another coach in charge, would they have seen it out? Fair play. But on just going back to my first point, because I don't want to, you know, rain down too hard on how you do have to credit them for fronting it and saying, look, it's on me. I wanted to go for the win, which they were right to do. Um, but I just think, has he maybe been undone with that, you know, lack of European experience? I don't know. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Derek says if we'd sat deep Milan don't score and I think it's not just Howe's lack of European experience it's the squad as a whole you know a lot of these players most of these players haven't been in this position at all and you you think where Newcastle could be in two three years time when the squad um, has been added to you're going to get higher level of players coming in who've played Champions League football and obviously the depth will be there which is the first thing you really want to point out about last night Newcastle just didn't have the players to really change it up with the with the injuries and the players that did bring on they're clearly not fit enough to mm. to really be making an impact and more of that in a moment but yeah you just felt on, on, on the pitch they just lacked that experience to know how to see this kind of game out yeah, absolutely. I think I think as I mentioned earlier, Trippier coming off was a big one. I think that the point there, and I was looking at it last night and thinking, oh, I tell you what, whatever happens here, when I watch and Sean Longstaff, Dan Byrne, Alexander Isak, and Callum Wilson all on the pitch at the same time, which is something that we haven't seen in the last couple of months. Um, but equally, I thought Dan Byrne, you could tell he's came back far too soon than he had to. Alexander Isak. I don't know what happened. He came on for five minutes and he looked sharp. He teed up Bruno. He had an effort himself. And then he just seemed to, you know, I don't know what happened. Just seemed he's not, to he's give not, up. He's not, he's not match not, fit. He's not match fit at all, and is it, he? It, and he's been rushed back. back. Yeah, that comes back to the Callum Wilson injury and, you know, our uh, forever debate that will go on for a lifetime and an eternity. But it, it, it comes back to the fact that he had to come back and fair play to him, you know, he didn't, he's not grumbled about it. He's tried his best. He's pulled on the black and white shirt. He's filled in for Callum Wilson. Arguably, now, we don't know what goes on day in, day out. We don't watch the training sessions. But watching the games, especially the last few weeks and last night, Alexander Izak does not look match fit no, at all. not at all. He doesn't. And I think um, it was a real head-scratcher at first when Gordon came off because I thought, first half, he was the brightest spark of all the attackers. I thought Wilson... I mean, Wilson hardly had a kick all night. I think he's another one who isn't match fit at all. Another one who's been thrown back in far too soon. Um, Gordon's obviously clearly tweak something it looks like maybe a hamstring problem for him you know fingers crossed he is okay for Thursday uh, for Saturday sorry he obviously missed training on Tuesday which is another sign he's probably been carrying something um, but Isaac for me you know he came on he thought right okay you know yes Gordon's came off but Isaac down the wing he can get rid of them he can run at them and I just thought he just it, he just it, didn't it, it looked like he knew as well it looked like he knew that he couldn't get past the, the defender like he had one Burst of speed in him, and that was it. Yeah. Um, so yes, you know, we, we'll be interesting to see what happens on Saturday whether Isaac um, starts or not. I don't think he will do. Uh, Reese says new experience for the manager and the team that don't have squad depth uh, of, of other others. Part of the team, and we give a great account of ourselves. Could have been dumped out like Manchester United. Uh, Derek says I'm not going to Eddie as he is learning along with the team, and they are very good at improving. Uh, so long may he be the two manager. And yeah, you know, me now and or not. 
seen get ready hour at all. You know, we're just questioning whether some of the decisions, in hindsight, you know, maybe there were other decisions to be made that could have benefited the team. Uh, I, I'm not, by the way. I know I've just sighed as if I'm going to disagree with you. I'm not for one second saying anyhow out. But I was laughing the other night after the Tottenham game and, and how quick things can change because we were, this time last week, talking about... Um, a draw at PSG, beating Chelsea, beating Manchester United. A week on, we're talking about three defeats on the bounce and crashing out of Europe. And I've started to see a few uh, how out hashtags uh, floating around. I saw a couple after Spurs, I saw a couple last night. And I've also seen an unhealthy amount of speculation about Jose Mourinho this morning. Oh and gosh. fan speculation, not media speculation. Uh, one fan with quite a big account said, uh, how long are we going to uh, deny the inevitable, which is coming down the road, and it's this man taking over? And it was a little gif of Mourinho winking. You are um, joking me. So no, I mean, that's, like I say, this that isn't is my view. This is new. This is not the. This is not endorsed by the Everything's Black and White podcast. Of course, I should say that unless Gil, Gibbo comes on later and uh, suddenly calls for Howe's head and says that uh, he wants Mourinho. But it, it just the wider point. Huge month coming up. Three winnable games in the league, Fulham, Luton, Forest, on paper, got to be taking some points off them after a bad run. If they lose to Chelsea, dare I say, if they lose to Sunderland, then the season's flipped on its head. And I saw another tweet last night, and it, and it wasn't about Mourinho, but it was about, oh sorry, it was somebody calling it the talk sport um, and saying the owners will be looking at that result last night and saying, how's not the man? Now, I don't think that's the case. But these next two months are huge in terms of the season and in terms of how, and you know how much credit he retains. Mm. I think what's interesting there with what he says it goes back to the point a lot of people are making about the project being ahead of schedule. And yeah. that does give the team and does give Eddie Howe, you know, gives them leeway. Yeah, because it is a new experience and no one expected it. But I think at the same time, when you are half an hour away from getting through to the next uh, stage and. You know the game management just is not there as much as you want to win that game. You know people will be asking questions and people will be scratching their heads, thinking how have Newcastle thrown that away? But God no, if Eddie Howe was to go, which we don't think he will, and we don't want him to at this stage, but you know we are clear on that. Not Josie Mourinho, please, please no. Um, there's an interesting quote from Jamal Lascelles after the game yesterday, and he said, "Maybe we could have been a bit smarter about things, but we are a positive attacking team." We try to play on the front foot, but tonight it cost us. And again, you know, you sit back and you applaud that. You say, yeah, great stuff, because as a fan, that's what you want. And we've had years of just sitting back thinking, goodness me, are they actually going to try and attack? But it's all good doing that with your wingers and your strikers. And again, when your wingers and strikers are fit and, and fully fit and haven't played, you know, however many minutes they've played in a week. But not when you're Fabian Chair. Not when you're Fabian Chair with four minutes to go and you're marauding forward. And you try a little sneaky one-two with Isaac and then you lose the ball. Now, ironically, the one time you want Fabian Scher to shoot about is to that say. moment. It opens up for him and he tries something clever. They've lost the ball and Milan, what, 20 seconds later, back of the net. If, if you are going to adopt that policy of being attacking throughout the game, right at the death, you've got to make a pay. You've got to make a pay. And I mentioned it on the show, they did not have the legs to go forward, especially the defence, mm. to lose their shape, to go forward, not have the energy, no one had the energy to do that and then get back and it cost Newcastle. 
yeah, I always laugh because you can always set your watch to Fabian Cher having a shot at a goal and it flying into the leases and it's usually within the first 15 minutes of any match at St James's Park and the one time he's encouraged to shoot and he doesn't was last night and it gets uh, penalised. Also, something we haven't talked about is Bruno and Isaac as well. We're talking about game management. Bring that Milan player down. You're 4-3. They're about to go through and counter-attack to potentially score the winner. And Isaac... Pulls out of the tackle, really, really poor. Just so, just so little effort. And Bruno really should just be hacking him down, taking the boot. And I know he would have missed the the next game, but um, that's what comes of experience because you saw Milan or PSG. That would have been, yeah. he would have been chopped down, and the boot would have been taken. And I hate to say it, but it, it would have been. And those LaSalle scores, just going back to them. And I think reading into Howe's quotes last night, yes, it's all well and good saying they went for it and they're proactive. Those quotes are a man who knows that they had the game in the palm of their hand and they didn't manage it properly. Whatever whatever they try and dress it up as, Newcastle players will be sitting here this morning knowing how have they lost that game after dominating for 65 minutes. Well, they'll be kicking themselves. Of course they'll be they absolutely will. kicking themselves. And you're right, why on earth uh, Bruno Isaac just didn't take one for the team is, is beyond me. But it is that little bit of bite that you yeah. think comes with experience, comes with knowing how to handle the competition. And, and that'll come in time. Um, so it's a little bit of a defensive, but I mean, come on, you, you know, you just need to stick a, a boot in here and, and get a book in, and, and you know, it, it didn't happen because Milan were doing it throughout the game as well. You know, Miggy turned uh, their, their their right back, would have been yeah, left back. Perfect. Anyway, turned one and he just wipes wipes them out. You know, naivety uh, again. And I I also felt, you know, it was quite interesting when you watch them attacking in in that moment before the goal. You know, that the the, the defence lost all their shape. Dan Byrne kind of he came into the centre and he allowed the, the goal scorer out on the right. Lascelles backing off. I'm never a fan of defenders backing off, backing off, backing off because I think when you've got a, a quality attacker with a ball at his feet, you're just giving him the space and that's what happened in that moment. And look, again, it's easy for us to say, you know, we, we haven't played, was it now four or five games in a row, you know, three games in a week. And the rest. Yeah, but, you know, that goal, I think it just kind of summed up everything Cast Knight are going through at the moment. There was, there was, well, both goals you can look at them. I've just watched them back this morning for my sins. And, and the first goal, Newcastle deal with the corner, but then you've got Trippier and Livermento both in the right-back position trying to close down Liao. And five seconds later, Christian Pulisic is unmarked at the back post where a left-back should have been. Fabian Shares stuck in the mud. People, I've seen people calling Dubravka. I don't think Dubravka could have done much more. I think he's just getting stick because he's conceded nine and three games and he hasn't maybe covered himself in glory. But I don't think really there's some any more he could have done with that first goal. But I think both goals, you're looking at it and you think, yes, look, let's caveat by saying they're very leggy. They were very leggy. Dan Byrne, one, probably doesn't have the pace to keep it up with Chuck Wazy anyway, but he was out of position. Lascelles has backed off. Cher was up at the other end of the pitch, recovering from the one-two. They just overexerted themselves when they really didn't at the wrong time. The last few games, when you look at some of the goals conceded and you screenshot, you know, the moment the cross goes in or what have you, it's schoolboy defending. Mm. It, it, it is a concern because this team has been built upon a really solid defensive ground. And this week alone, I know people again will be shouting, well, they're tired, they're tired, but... You know they're losing the shape in key moments defensively, and it is—it's costing them. I'll, I'll put some—I'll put some questions to you now, um, and I suspect I know the answer to the first one. January transfer window, new goalkeeper, even on the short term. Yes. Ramsdale, De Gea, Loris. I think. Your, let Let's rank them top three. 
Well, I in mean, order of who you want. It depends, doesn't it? it because if you're going to move the project forward... I'm, I'm talking six-month deal. Six months. Well, you're not going to get Ramsdale in six Course months. Could. On a loan. Of course you could. He's not playing in Arsenal. You get, you get six months of game time at Castle. I think he'd want it. Yeah, but would Arsenal release him on loan? Potentially. I don't think that would happen. I think if you're talking short term, I think the most realistic one is 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 probably De Gea. Okay. But I would also and let's let's just say let's just say Arsenal go out and sign a, a 21 year old goalkeeper to, if, as, a, if, as a backup to Raya. Would you would if that still, still be is case? available on yeah, loan? Then that would then be yes, the short term. Then one. Yes. Uh, but then I could see that happening with a, a, a obligation to buy in the summer. And would you be happy with that? Depending on how he performed, yeah. But I, I, is he an upgrade on Nick Pope? I don't think he's a better shot stopper. Mm. And there's obviously a reason why Arsenal have uh, Mike Arteta has gone out and swapped goalkeepers. I just think it's really interesting because I think we don't know how this injury is going to affect Nick Pope long term. There's a, there's a real risk it could you know impact them um, and it could potentially bring him down level when he returns. And also you're looking when are Newcastle going to go out and try and sign a, an improvement on Nick Pope? Is mm. that going to happen eighteen months time, two years time? Does this injury move it forward slightly? And if that is the case, then maybe the answer isn't Ramsdale. Maybe it is a, a top European keeper, that, you know, the, the guy who plays uh, for Borussia Dortmund, perhaps. You know, someone like that. But those, that, that, that's the big decision I think they've got to make when it comes to a goalkeeper. Do we move forward now in a replacement, an actual proper long-term replacement for Nick Poe? And before January, I've seen so many people, and I never thought I'd see this, so many people, even before last night, calling for carriers to come in. What what do you do with Dubravka now? Nine goals conceded in three games from 11 shots on target. You've got to handle it very delicately because I think had he swapped Karius in last night and Nick and uh, Martin Dubravka was, was, was fine, that that's a massive blow to his confidence. Huge mm. blow. And I think that has a, a, a long-term impact on Martin Dubravka because there's nothing to say that Karius comes in and performs better than Martin Dubravka. Then you have a, a deflated number one and you have a, a deflated number two. You know, obviously Nick Pope. You know, you get what I mean. I think it has to be handled really carefully. Does he come in on Saturday? Look, Fulham are scoring goals for fun. That defence needs to be so much tighter than it has been in, in, this week. You know, you cannot. We cannot come on the show on Monday if Newcastle have conceded three or four goals to Fulham at home and blame fatigue and tiredness. So they have to be working their backsides off, which no doubt they will be, and no doubt they have been, but they have to be working so hard this week to ensure that the free, free score in Fulham are shut out on Saturday because Fulham will be up for this game and they will be looking at how AC Milan scored the goals last night, how Spurs and Everton did uh, in the games before and thinking, hey, we could get another five goals here, potentially. And just one more question as well on the, on, on the topic. Do Newcastle need to go out and buy another defender in some form in January, as I've been saying for months? It's interesting because you were talking about the conversation you have in off-air about um, the game last night and our colleague brought up Fabian Cher and Jamal LaSalle and the long-term future of both of them. Now, look, mm -hmm. both of them need new deals in the summer and I think both of them will probably be offered new deals. But, again, I, I, I do wonder whether you look at this Champions League uh, a, a adventure and the conclusion is, well, maybe... Do we, as a Newcastle United, move the transfer plans ahead a year? Do we, where you know X Y Z was a priority, is this now the priority because we, we we've been shown up to have that real lack of quality, mm. i.e. at centre back? And we know Sven Botman's going to come in, but do Newcastle potentially go out and try and sign 
another centre back who will be first first choice, and then you have sharing the cells as as backup. It, it, you know, I think there's a, there's a potential that the verdict from this European adventure is actually, yeah, we need to be adding um, quite a, a few players of of a higher level of, of quality and, and sooner rather than later if we're going to sustain Newcastle as a top European side. Mm. I think for me, obviously, and, and it goes back to that debate, which I hate mentioning, and that's the striker debate, but this is why for so long it's been key for me that they need to get another centre-back in. Whether it's a, a backup, whether it's a, a first choice, I think just having Lascelles, Botman and Cher as the three main ones. I know Burn can play them, whatever, but... I think in January you're looking at it if Botman's still not back given that share and Lascelles have run themselves into the ground Murphy hasn't really had a game Burns more being used as a left back I'll be going out and trying to get another centre back even if it's a short term deal um, but I think just on your point next summer let's say we'll get to next summer I think that's the moment you go okay right who is going to partner Sven Botman in the long term who is going to come in and be the heir to share Uh Pardon the pun or the rhyme there, um, and I think just on your other point, I think I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with Dubravka uh, because even before I, I don't think he was at fault for anything last night, but before last night he was getting real. I think that I think Newcastle fans have already turned on him just, just on social media, which I think is harsh. He's coming out the cold unexpectedly. Um, yes, they've had two heavy, heavy defeats. I don't think he's done too, too he just doesn't much look confident, though, does he? He yeah. doesn't look like he has that authority about him. And I know Nick Pope doesn't exactly look like the man who shouts at the, the top of his voice, but there's definitely he's a lot, more organisation. He's a lot more commanding of the yeah, area. And, and, yeah. You know, I was watching uh, AC Milan getting ready to put a free kick into the box, and I, I looked at the Bravka, and he, he's got his hands on his knees, and he, he's kind of crouched over. And I know he's just trying to organise his defence, but... I, I just looked at it and thought it, it didn't fill me with confidence and nothing I've seen fills me with confidence. I was mm. fully expecting him to, to to really hit a really good level um, when it comes to replacing Nick Pope for however, for however long Nick Pope is out. But I, I've, I've not been impressed. And yes, as you say, he comes in from the cold, so we can't be too critical. But he doesn't command his boxes well enough and I don't think they're organised as well as they are under Nick Pope. I, I think personally he's got four games now to... Not not save his Newcastle career, but if he wants to be the number one from now at the end of the season, he's got he's got Fulham, Chelsea, Luton, Forest before the transfer window opens, and I think Eddie Howe will use these four games as he will of the last three, and then they'll make a decision. But I think if it carries on in the way it goes, I think uh, I think a short term keep as the he top really, very top of their list. He doesn't look like he believes in himself, and I think that's one of the biggest issues. You look at him, he looks like a man with the weight of the world on his shoulders. Mm. And which, I is, which is so weird as well because it's not as if it's Loris Carrius coming in who's been out in the cold for so long and he's never done it at the club. Martin de Bricko is this club's number one. Yes, it was in very different circumstances. Very good number one. Very good number one for four years. And I'm wondering if, if I mean, we've talked about hindsight a lot on this podcast so far. I'm really wondering whether Martin Dubravka sits at home with his wife at night and they're talking over their tea and he thinks, why on earth did I ever go to Manchester United? Because I think it's, one, it's done a standing within fans no good. I think fans are so much quicker to jump on him now because he's seen as that, you know, traitor because he jumped ship to be number two to here. Um I mean, it's all hindsight, though. He thought it was the right move at the time. He didn't probably think he was ever going to come back to the club and be number one at such a crucial time. Um, but I think it's crunch time now because I think 
there's only so much of, of the last three games that we can have in terms of the goals they've shipped before January comes around and they say, right, let's let's go and get to here. Let's go and get someone on a short-term deal. It does feel like a defining period of the season oh, for huge, Newcastle United now. And you do worry about the impact of last night. To have it in their hands and then to go out in the fashion they did, to lose that Europa League spot, you do worry about the next few games because Fulham, Chelsea, I mean, that's a huge couple of games coming up. Yeah, absolutely massive. Um, and Eddie, uh, look, one of the one of the um, positives that fans have used about crashing out of the Champions League and the Europa League is look, they can focus on the Premier League. If they don't get a result at Fulham and then they go to Chelsea and as I said, they crash out of the Carabao Cup as well, it, it, all of a sudden the season's gone in the space of two or three weeks from you've really lost ground in the top four in the top six race. You're out of two competitions that you could have had a real good go in. Um, and one positive, as I've touched on last night, is they look like they're getting bodies back, but at the same time, Trippier and Gordon potentially both missing. Isaac not really fully fit. It's going to be a real slog of a month. How much more can they give? That's what we're going to find out. Yep, as Gibber would say, can they go to the well once more? <laughs> I just want to talk about the chances Newcastle United had last night because there were two chances on top of the goal that they scored and it's fine margins. But we seem to be saying this every game, you know, there were chances against Everton, there were chances against Spurs. You know, if you put them efforts in the back of the net, the results are totally different. They're just lacking that clinical edge in front of goal. And at this level, that will cost you as well. As much as being naive and not seeing the game out, it doesn't matter if you take your chances. And I think, ideally, they would have been, as I said, wanting to be in half-time, two or three goals up. Of course you would, given the dominance. But we'll start with that Miguel Almiron effort on the goal line. Now, from where I was sitting, I thought, tremendous challenge, you know, tremendous uh, clearance. But actually, when you watch it back, Almiron, he's got to hit that with his right, and it's in the back of the net. He just doesn't seem to have the link between his right, his right uh, leg, right foot, and his brain. It, it, that, that, look, founder, chair of the Miguel Almiron fan club, but I tell you what, that was not a good look for Almiron. Well, this is, a, this is the point I was just about to make, and we should have a little hindsight section because I'm going to bring it up again, but how many weeks ago was it that you... Uh, Handed your resignation in for the chair of, as chairman of the fan club. It was a good couple of weeks ago. You said you were done, and it's looking with each passing week like a very good decision because, I mean, it's getting to the stage now where it it is actually criminal how little he uses that right foot. There was a moment last night where he stretched to keep the ball in, and he could have kept it in ten times easier if he just used his right, but instead he was stretching with his left. That chance, I think, if it's anybody else that's in the back of the net, because he could have taken that with his right foot. It comes across his body, stick the right foot out, it's in before Tomori gets a chance, and he waits, and it goes to his left foot, and Tomori gets the chance to clear it. The way he's angled his foot doesn't even look as if he's going to score anyway when it hits his left foot. Um, it's those moments, isn't it? It's a huge moment. And think back to last season. At the very start of the season, there was a three-month period where Miggy Almiron carried Newcastle into the top four because he was scoring multiple times every week. Now, I mean, someone in the comments, or you may correct us, but I cannot remember the last time he scored for Newcastle. Did he score in the, He scored in one of the Champions League games, didn't he? He scored a couple of times a season, but he's not as prolific. Um, and I've just been talking about Dubravka there and the social media sort of swell. It's starting to... V- 
border on, on, on a little bit toxic with Almiron, I think, when you look at Newcastle fans speaking about it on social media. We were talking about off-air. I don't know how much longer he's got at this level putting in performances like this without scoring before fans say, you know what, fantastic run, but we really need, as a priority, to go out and get a right midfielder. Yeah, that's a priority in January? It's been a priority for me for a long time. I mean, we've sat on this podcast for 80 months together and I've waxed lyrical about Musa Diaby, who they missed out on. It's been a priority for a long time. And I think Miggy, who got offered a new contract last year, really saved his own skin by that incredible purple patch in front of goal. Um, and I think it papered over a lot of the cracks. He, don't get us wrong, he's a fantastic player on his date. You can't fault the effort he gives, but how far can that effort get him when Newcastle United want to be reaching the knockout stage of the Champions League. Um, is it a priority? Yes. Maybe not in January. Def if not in January, it has to be number one on the list in the summer. They've got to go out and get a world-class right winger. Um, he scored in the uh, League Cup at Old Trafford, says to Colin Fraser. Ian says, every player will be upgraded eventually. Uh, the Saudis aren't here to be number two, but we can't do everything at once. So patience mm -hmm. urged there. Uh, Darren says some of the passing was shocking as well in the second half. How many times did we give the ball away? How many times can we blame it on too many games at once? Well, I feel like that's just your burner account. You always hop back to the fact that you can't keep blaming it on fatigue. I think the last 20 minutes can be put down a little bit to game management and a little bit to fatigue. I think they were running on empty towards the end. Um, but as you say, if they get beat off full we can't be sat here going, oh, well, they're tired. They need to just find a way through it. And, I mean, the other effort came from Bruno Gumeresh. I mean, destined to be in the top corner. What a strike Fantastic, that was. But yeah, that actually save. might be the best save I've ever seen since James Park. Unbelievable, wasn't it? And I think um, Rio, I was, I was listening to some uh, of the pundits after the game and Rio Ferdinand says he thinks, you know, is that the moment where Milan thought, okay. It was the moment I thought Newcastle was out here. Yeah, it was. Because you had Liao at the other end moments later hitting the post and you thought, what a let off. But actually, if that Bruno goal goes in, I think Newcastle United win that game. I think 100%. they get a third. Yeah. I think the reason my attitude towards the game changed at that moment was because that goalkeeper had been shocking yeah. all game. Mm -hmm. He'd been moaning, he'd been whining, he'd been booked, he'd been time-wasting. His positioning was all over the shop for, for the corners and free kicks that Newcastle did manage to actually test them. He was, yeah, he, he'd had a terrible game, in my opinion. And then the one moment he steps up, he produces a world-class it was it, it was it was it was unbelievable and that's the fine margins that you know Eddie Howe was talking about last night um at this level I mean when you've got goalkeepers yes you might not have been at his best last night but you've got goalkeepers at that level and that's who you're up against they can keep you out like that that was the turning point in the second half for me I thought mm. let's look at some positives so I mean how good was Joe Linton last night to be fair, we're, I know we're sat here and we've just spent the last 36 minutes being quite negative, but there was a lot of positives. And I spoke about this on the Facebook Live last night. Joe Litton, absolutely fantastic on the biggest stage. Lewis Miley. Let's talk about that assist because the goal by Joe Litton was, was fantastic. Yeah. Lovely first touch, sets up nicely for him. And that is an absolute rocket in the top corner. He looked furious as he hit that ball. <laughs> um, brilliant, brilliant goal. Hopefully that, that sets him off to get a few more uh, this season. But for me, it's the assist. And I know he's, what, four or five yards away from him. But I think 90% of players take a touch there. Well, it's like the it's like the assist for 
the Chelsea goal, isn't it? For Isaac, you know, a lot of other players in that position would have done something completely different. He's got the nous, and it's always when he's in that little pocket, just around the edge of the box, you know, the Sean Longstaff role that we've seen in the last six months, where he's really getting forward. Um, I think we're now getting to the stage, and look, I want to keep my feet on the ground here, but we might be getting to the stage where Lewis Miley might never have a bad game for Newcastle United, because <laughs> at the moment, he just keeps pulling out the stops. I thought he was fantastic. I was a... In hindsight, um, looking back last night, at the time I thought Longstaff for Miley was probably the move because I thought Joel and Bruno were really trying to make things happen. I know you you certainly think this, but maybe keeping Miley on for a little bit longer might have been oh, the way. 100%. I thought Newcastle lost all threat when mm. Miley came off. I, I, didn't, I, I look at Longstaff and I don't think he, look, he looked fit. I don't think he looked ready to, to be introduced to the game. I know what Eddie I was trying to do. He's trying to induce it introduce a bit more legs and trying to force the issue. But at times, Sean Longstaff looked like he was running through cement. He, he didn't look like he had the energy about him. And I do think Miley was taken off too early and Newcastle suffered because of it. And I actually think when you watch him play, like he's so quick, he's got such a clever football and brain. Mm -hmm. If he avoids injuries, I honestly think, touch wood, have we got any? I don't think we've got... Is this a wood, wooden table? Honestly... I was sitting there last night watching the way he passes the ball, watching the way he tracks back, gets a foot in, thinking if he avoids injuries, I think he could be a better midfielder than Bruno Gomes. Another big call from Musgrove there. Um, Come back to me in five years' time, right? When we're both working in comms with that quote and see, see, see if I was right or not. Does he... Does he um when Willick and Longstaff's back to full fitness and when Anderson's back, what do they do with Miley? Stays on the team. Really? Stays on that team. I don't think there'll be many people that disagree with you. And I mean, it's just another thing. I mean, who would have said that six weeks ago? That Lewis Miley would really be in a contender for being in the fully fit start. I, mean, I thought he was fantastic last night. He's been absolutely fantastic um, from minute one. I think even Eddie Howe always talks about, and you just mentioned there's football and brain. He's really, really... He's got a very clever brain. He's also very, very humble and down to ground, uh, you know, down to earth. I mean, in the international break, he's just made his debut for Newcastle United. All this fanfare around him. He goes away for the international break. Does he go on holiday to a sunny climb? No. He's in working with coaches. You know, he's up there. Martin Nugent, elite performance, working in his own time, doing his Newcastle training plan with these coaches away from the club. I mean... Just absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, real positive for Sam. I thought Joe Lutton was fantastic. I know we may disagree on this, but I thought Bruno's second half was really the one trying to turn the screw. Um, I don't agree. Look, he was, he was, you know, the passing was was, was was fantastic. Some lovely balls out to Joe Lutton, who had kind of switched out to the left. I mean, there was a fantastic pass by Jamal Lasalle as well, um, which I would love to mention, because he has it in his lock every now and then. I don't know. Look, Bruno uh, is a fantastic player. Don't get me wrong. And you cast United need him because they can't win without him. But there's just a lot of his game which just, as a fan, really annoys me. Like, always trying to win the foul. And he does it for the but, large part, but it's going to cost you, but hang on, But hang on, hang on, hang on. I remember, I've got a fantastic memory when it comes to this podcast. Back end of last season, or last season, oh, you know what I just love about Bruno Gomez? How he just buys those fouls all the time. He's so good at just winning those fouls and just, you know, getting those but fouls for Newcastle United. Is he, is he, is he as good at doing it, though, anymore? Well, look, you can't you can't flip-flop. Well, I can't, no. because at that point, I think, yes, I can. I, th I, I don't think he's at the level that he was uh, bef 
yeah, last season. Oh, yeah, his first time. I think the level, he's still yet to reach the level. Look, he's getting back to his best. He's a tremendous player. He is a real key part of this Newcastle United side. Don't get me wrong. But there are certain elements to his game which just wind me, wind me up. Look, the, for instance, literally probably Newcastle's last attack of the game yesterday. Mm. He's down the right, just put the ball in the box. He tries to take on the man. He gets past him and goes out for a goal kick. A total waste of an opportunity. And sometimes I just think he tries to be too clever. Mm. The little flicks through his legs with his back to goal, the little outside of the boot passing. You know, there was just before Milan's second goal, he outside he, with the right of his right foot, he hits it with the outside of his boot towards Gordon and it goes straight out of touch. Yeah. I now I know that. there's a few minutes in between that and the goal, but does that change? The outcome of, of, of no, what happens. Of course it doesn't. I just think sometimes he just needs to play the simple pass rather than always playing the clever pass. Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you on Bruno last night because I thought second half when it was one one or two one the only midfielder really trying to make it tick, getting on the ball, finding the passes to, out to Isaac. I mean nine times out of ten he would have put Newcastle ahead last night if it wasn't for that save. I thought he was the one, and it, actually you watch it back. He's the man chasing Rafael Liao down when he hits the post. He's the one. He's he also the man that didn't put his foot in, though. For the, for the second goal. goal. Yeah, he is. Look, and, and he wasn't perfect last night. You know, he should have crossed that ball at the end and he didn't. He, he ran it out of play. But I thought last night, second half, when Newcastle were really going for it, he was the one trying to make things happen. There's a, there was a lot of positives. A lot of those players being backs one. Look, they're probably going to end up making thirty million from this Champions League campaign. It could have been more, should have been more, um, but it'll do them a world of good FFP wise. There's a lot of positives to take. So I said I mentioned uh, it was a second goal with with the pass to Gordon. It was actually the, the first goal. But yeah, look, you know, Bruno's crucial. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you, you cash in on him or anything. I just think play the simple ball. Stop trying to be clever. Stop trying to get the headlines. Just play the simple ball. If you've got to go back, go back. And I do wonder. We're talking about game management. I think the one issue, as much as the midfield actually did really well last night, the one issue is they advance too much and it leaves too much space in that middle in between the, the defence and the midfield and good attacking sides, you know, they're hitting Newcastle with it. Well, it just goes back to the point that we've been making for the last year, isn't it? And that is, do they do they need a six? Yes. Do they need Calvin Phillips or someone of that ilk? Not Calvin Phillips. Not Calvin Phillips. I mean, Calvin Phillips, by the way, I think if you're a better man, I think it looks like he's the man that comes in in January. I hope he's uh, in the gym 24-7 to get up to scratch. Scored last Eddie night. Howe. He scored last he scored night. a penalty last night for Manchester City. Oh, so you actually played for Manchester yeah, City last City, night. Yeah. I, I mean, it sounds like you, you would take him. Um... Look, I believe so much in Eddie Howe's coaching ability um, and, you know, clearly the Oracle, Gareth Southgate, sees something that we don't. I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world. Short-term deal, see how it goes. It fills a position they need to fill with Tenali out. Um, I feel like it could be a deal that could work for everyone. I'm so not going to say it works, Who, who drops out then? Are you keeping Bruno and Joel Linton in alongside Calvin Phillips? Yeah, I think that would work. I think you could have Jolton on the left. I think you have Bruno in that eight position, which he loves to roam. And look, if I'm completely honest, I don't know. I don't. I'm not saying Calvin Phillip comes in and starts every game for Newcastle. He's gonna love that, isn't he? What? Sitting on the bench for Manchester I mean, City. Yeah. Sitting on the bench for Newcastle there's United. A, there's a difference between sitting on the bench for Manchester City when he's when he he literally is sitting on the bench and playing in cup games, and actually playing a big part in this Newcastle team. Given the injuries they've had so far this season, he'll be sitting there thinking there's a good chance I can play every single game. Um, 
I'm not saying he would walk into this team and I think there's definitely reservations about it, but I don't think you should be turning your nose up like you are and looking disgusted by it. Have a little bit of faith in Dan Ashworth's recruiting well, and Eddie Howe's coaching skills. That That's the bottom line. I have my opinion on Calvin And put some respect Phillips. on the in England International's name, please. I have uh, my opinion on Calvin Phillips, but as I always say when I do make this point, if it's good enough for Eddie Howe and Dan Ashworth, exactly. then it is good enough. For every Newcastle United fan, as much as they may not uh, back Alan Phillips to there, make there is a the reason difference. that Pep Guardiola, one of the greatest managers of all time, signed Calvin Phillips. There's also not two years ago. There's also a reason he doesn't play him. Well, yes, but but when he, there's also a reason he doesn't play him despite having injuries. Hmm. But I'm just saying, it wasn't too long ago that he was the, you know, one of the most informed midfielders in the Premier League. Not too long ago at all. Yes, yes. I mean, a conversation okay. for another day. I think. I get. I get your point right um let me read through some of the comments because we've got loads of people watching thank you very much for tuning in a lot of excitement about the uh the time we had derby in in a few weeks time um richard says eddie howell will get us back uh to where we belong look at us two years ago we were 19th in the league uh, e makes a point that six of the players last night also played under steve bruce when we were rock bottom which is a, a very good point derek says and eddie we trust. Ian also adds that expectations need to be managed, which I guess is a, is a fair point. I mean, I do wonder the when we we stop saying remember where we were. Is is there a, a time period when you say that's no longer valid? Surely this season is the one where it's got to finally be put to bed. How long can we cling on to the fact that we used to be terrible and now we're not? Um, I just I was just having a little chuckle myself there managing expectations because Newcastle United fans if there's any fan base that goes over the top and you know blows their lid when they shouldn't I think it's Newcastle and I think it's easier said than done mm. we'll wait and see um, about uh, well do you know I was going to say that actually I don't I, they just support their team don't they like mm. yesterday fully behind them at the full whistle, uh, full-time whistle uh, and, and the games that they've been beating Everton Tottenham celebrating like they've, they've won a cup um but I do wonder if maybe that mentality needs to kind of switch at some point, you know. Well, I know you had really strong thoughts on the Tottenham away end, didn't you, the other day? And I know we haven't done a podcast since, so I don't know if you mentioned this with Gibbo the other day, but um... yeah. So, so, so the point was like, I, I, I think it's all fair and and good, you know, the fans who've made that long travel down, especially the the chaos that they suffered on the trains and the stuff. You sing your heart, you celebrate, you you know, you you do what you want to do at full time, you've got your absolute right. But I also do wonder just the fact that you've you've been thumped for one. Does it look tin pot? That's not the phrase I was gonna use, but I'll let you use it. I, 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 I just wonder whether the mentality at some point has to switch. Like at some point I'm not saying you boo the, the players off, you know, not not at all, but what I'm saying is do you celebrate like you've won a cup when you've been beaten for <laughs> one? That's they only have a little dance to freed by freed from desire. Yeah, it's and the more than, more and more and look and, and, and on one hand, you know, it's great to see and you love that from Newcastle United fans because they're so passionate and the players will love that. But I'd be interested to know those fans that went down and were and were cheering the fans off like that, which is again great to see what they actually thought about the result performance against Spurs. You know, were mm. they getting back in the car? Their delayed trains, cancelled trains critical of the performance critical of the results hard not to be really I mean being, surely being surely they couldn't say anything else but um, but yeah thank you very much guys for tuning in we are um, that's not the, the episode we wanted to be bringing you celebrating Newcastle United through the next stage 
of the Champions League, but that is the way the cookie has crumbled. Head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle United news and watch out on the podcast channel for the match preview with John Gibson and the view from the opposition looking ahead to Fulham as well. So two more podcasts to come your way this week. Pleasure as always. Thank you very much for tuning in and we'll see you guys very soon. Thank you.